Hey, welcome to What's on Your Mind. I'm Peter, and what can we learn from Doug Sandler? It's an amazing, amazing person. First, he was a DJ, and now he's like the podcast king. He has seven podcasts in the US, and he has done more than 1,500 episodes. And he shares his story and his insights and his lessons behind his DJ and his podcasting uh, business. Enjoy, Dirk. Bye-bye. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week, a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Now, welcome, Dirk. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to your entrepreneurial-based community. This is, this is going to be a really fun episode. Get, get set, everybody. Put your seatbelts on because I'm going to talk fast. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. It's an honor. Now, Doug, first of all, we have something in common besides podcasting, music. Ah. I've, I've, I've seen that you are a DJ for quite some years. Yeah, I uh, I started DJing in geez, uh, it was 1984. Uh, 1984. When, 1984 when I was in college, and I filled in for a friend of mine who was working at a bar, and she used to bring the records, vinyl turntables, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. I filled in, and I fell in love with DJing, and I spent the next well between 1984 actually until right now, I still DJ. I don't DJ anywhere near what I used to, uh, but I went into the um, the uh, high-end social scene, the, the very, yeah. very well-paying social scene in Washington, D.C., and made my, my career in a very, very specific niche market. And I've loved it. I probably have done, geez, 3,500 uh, gigs in my career, probably 21 in this specific niche, 2,100 in this specific niche. So, yeah, I've been really, really loving the, uh, the DJ world. But I found and, podcasting. <laughs> and the, do, do you... Did your music taste also evolved? Because I'm a sucker for the 80s. I really am a sucker for the 80s. Everything around Footloose and Fame and uh, Maniac and all that stuff. And uh, like, that, that's really, I love the Pointer Sisters. I really love that. Nice. I, I, I love I that sound. I'm also a musician. I'm a guitar player and I, I play that stuff. So it's a party band. But what... So the, the music taste, did it change? Are you now into kind of EDM and Deep House no. or, or do you like to mix everything up or what's your specialty? Well, it's interesting you say that because the things that I grew up with, I grew up with music of the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. I'm 56 years old as of the recording of this. So for me, I have always enjoyed that music when I was a kid. I mean, I listened to something like Footloose and it takes me immediately back to, you know, that that mm -hmm. era. I listened to Madonna or or oh. George Michael or uh or or Wham or you know yeah, or or even it. James Taylor Chicago, you know, uh, the Eagles. Mm -hmm. I mean, I listened to classic rock and I listened to 80s 80s rock. I never got into really like EDM and although I play hip hop at some of the events that I that I um that I work um, it's, it's more because my audience likes that, not because, you know, it's like, I don't care what songs I play. It, it, it's not about me when you're in an event and that's kind mm -hmm. of how business is. It's not about you. It really is about your customer and how do you please your customer? You have to do the stuff that they, that they want to, to hear. So, um, while I am a, I'm like you, I, I like eighties music also. And so, so 
what I'm really fascinated by is that in the 80s, I mean, the drums were not by, done by computers. No drums. So the, 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 there were no click tracks. So this means if you wanted to mix up certain records, I mean, you needed to be really good. Also, there were no computers were not used to uh, to 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 play music, so it was on vinyl. And um, I mean, where where did you get the fun part of it? Because I really like a group, a good mix. So two songs mixing together, creating a, a kind of the the total is more than the sum of the underlying parts. Sometimes you have two songs, yep. and the more extreme, the better. I like it. I mean, who can lift up the music and the, the vibe in the room and, and that the people can really go through the roof? Well, they, is, it, is it, yes? Yeah, I, I was going to add to that. It was more of a yes and, yes and. It, the key to a, a, a dance floor that stays filled is, is seamless music from one song to the other. And when you can create mm -hmm. music that is seamless, you know, let's take, let's take two songs, you know, play that funky music into Brick House or Brick House into play that mm -hmm. funky music. They no. both have the same, the same downbeat. So they have the same beat, the same timing, the same everything. And it's like, if you can put two songs together like that, you know, if you can somehow mix a Michael Jackson song with uh, a Bruno Mars song later, you know, today, yeah. not only are you doing a couple things, a lot of people that like Michael Jackson also like Bruno Mars because Bruno, uh, yeah. Michael Jackson was an inspir inspiration to Bruno mm -hmm. Mars. So for me to be able to do that, having some history in your brain about the music that you're playing at the same time, yeah. matching the beats, that's, that's incredible. And um, that for me, a filled dance floor makes me a happy man. <laughs> I mean, it's there is no such thing as a coincidence. Before we recording, because it's in the evening here in Belgium, um, I got the news that we uh, are about to play again. I think in August or something with our party band. So it means, yeah, we didn't have any rehearsals anymore. So I have to rehearse my part. And uh, as we are mixing songs together, I was playing actually um, Billie Jean of Michael Jackson combined with um what's the um, get lucky from um what's the guy daft behind punk? chick uh, daft punk yes yep. indeed <laughs> with, uh, with, with with Nal rogers and uh and it, these it's, it's what you're saying bruno mars for me that sound is really the typical of the wall sound and a, a typical the sense of the 80s and a little bit the end of of uh, the 70s so uh he's got good influences there so uh but now i mean what did you then transform the, the DJing to becoming a podcaster and starting your own business. Why, what was the link for you between the two or, or is there no link? No, there's definitely a link. And the link was that I spent my entire career building this DJ business and I had, had a, uh, put together a small army of other DJs that were, that were working for me through an agency that represented our entire company in, uh, in Washington, DC. And we were doing probably in our busy years, six and 700 jobs a year. So it okay. was it was a really busy company. So you can't build a company of that size without learning something about how to run a business. And what I was amazed with, maybe I shouldn't be amazed because this is just how people are. It was really about the relationship that we could have with the customers before they hired us. You know, most most DJs focus on equipment. They focus mm -hmm. on their their um, their record library, cassette library, MP3 library, whatever it was. And um, the problem with that is when you focus on your equipment and your music, you don't focus on the thing that is highly essential for growing a business, which is the relationship between you and your customer. 
So I discovered that for for the any success that I've had in my life has not been because I have great equipment and great music. If somebody would call me and say, how many songs do you have in your library? It's I have the 60 songs that we're going to need to play at your event. So it doesn't matter. I could have 60,000, which I probably do in my library, but I don't know. You know, I have 60. I have the 60 that you need to hear to keep your people that you invited to your party on the dance floor. Are you happy with that? And I don't say it in a, in a jerk way. I say it in a way that, you know, it's, it's not about the 60 songs or about how big the equipment is. It really is about how can I help this client from the moment that they come in touch with my brand till the time that that party is over and they're sending me business, how can I keep them happy and exceed expectations every single time? And that was the key to building a DJ business of 600 gigs plus every year was just that customer relationship. Now, I mean, when you're a DJ, because you mentioned also in one of your videos, I mean, I play guitar, that's really rock star uh, attitude. I mean, when I was quite young, I mean, you get success like a DJ and then the ego kicks in because yeah. the ego thinks it's beautiful <laughs> yeah. and everybody loves you, etc. And when you have that ego, it's sitting between you and your customer. How did you realize, how did, did you come to that insight that, I mean, it's not about you. It's you who are there to serve the music and the music will take everybody becoming one to a higher uh, level. And it's not about you at all. How did you come to that insight? Was it the hard way or was it the... <laughs> well, of course, we all learned our lessons through contrast, through the hard way. For me, it happened to be an event that I did in 1992. So keep in mind, so this is eight years after I started DJing in 1984. 1992, mm -hmm. I, was I was flown sight unseen by this family uh, in, in New Orleans. I was flown from Maryland to Louisiana to do their event. And of course... I just went right to ego. You know, I'm like, this is great. These people think I'm the best and they're flying me down and I'm, they're paying my way and they're going to put me in a nice hotel and all of this stuff. And the event was the worst event that I possibly have ever experienced in my entire life. I mean, the kids were lighting toilet paper on fire in the bathrooms. They were at the bar. The adults were, were, were just out of control. Everybody was out of control at the party. And I kept thinking, why are they doing this to me? And what I didn't realize is that they weren't doing this to me. I just had failed to ask all of the right questions early on before I got there. I failed to build that relationship with that, with that family before I was flown down to Louisiana to do that event. And so that event was the turning point of my career when I stopped focusing on the me. I stopped focusing on the equipment. I stopped focusing on my music library. And I started focusing on what do I need to do with that customer to exceed their expectations at a particular event. And since then, every time I have done an event, I always said in my mind, I'm never letting New Orleans happen again. I'm not letting that, mm. that thing happen again. So that was, a, that was a really great question because for me, it, you just brought me back to 1992 with that question, Peter. Thank you. Yeah. But it's I had similar experiences. And once you realize that it's not about you, you can really enjoy and you can, for me, like playing music. Uh, it was a couple of years ago when a woman came after the show and she said, I mean, we just play things like Bon Jovi living on a prayer stuff and Michael Jackson. So everybody, a lot of bands can play that, but it's not about that. When you take you out of the equation, I mean, it's, they feel that and it there comes the, it, it unleashes some kind of energy and it touches people's hearts. And she said, look, I'm very ill. 
I don't know how much how much days or weeks or months I have to live. But you guys, you just gave me one of the best nights of my oh, life, just great. taking me back yeah. to my youth. And then I realized, damn, so I can use my talents in order to make somebody else happy instead of um, yeah, my own ego. And it's, it brings so much joy and satisfaction and um, yeah, yeah, how do you call that? Gratitude mm -hmm. that you can do that, that you can use your talents to somebody else. Now, for you, um, in 1992, you had that experience in New Orleans. When was the pivoting moment that you um, realized there is something in the communication? I know you, you studied that also in university, but when was it that you, um, you said, I want to do something around communication and the podcasting, which has become one of your yeah, huge business pillars because in, in the terms of, of Belgians uh, and, and the podcasting scene, you're like the king. I mean, <laughs> the, the prince, uh, the purple prince. I mean, I mean, because it's not so penetrated here yet. Yeah. So when, when did that start? Well, I would say that the probably the at the moment that I wrote that refund check to that client, I knew there mm -hmm. had to be a pivot. Uh, they were paying me $2,000, and in 1992, $2,000 was a lot of money, plus all of my expenses to go down to, to Louisiana to do that event. Mm -hmm. Writing that refund check when I got back made me really take a deeper dive into, okay, I've got I've to work on a, I've got to figure out what my system is. Why is it that some events are successful and one, some events aren't? So that was at that time, um, that was the pivotal moment. But, you know, we experience pivotal moments many times through our lives and our careers, Peter. And, and the second one, the, the, the really deep dive for me, um, happened in about 2014 uh, after spending, geez, I don't know, what's that, 30 years as a, uh, as a DJ. I, just, I really took a, uh, a closer look at what I was doing um, to fill my cup of what I needed as, mm -hmm. you know, Filling a, doing events, that's great, and you make a lot of happy people, and that's terrific, but I really didn't feel like I was having a large enough impact on the world doing that. And mm -hmm. so in 2015, or 2014 probably, I, I decided that I was going to make, uh, you know, add a second thing into my career, and that was I wanted to become a professional speaker. I wanted to teach other people that were beginning the early stages of their business. I wanted to teach them how I have done what I have done in my career, how that can translate into lessons learned for them so that they can build their business and become successful at whatever it is that they're doing. So in 2015, 2014, I started to write a, uh, I started to write a book uh, called Nice Guys Finish First. And I had the title immediately in my head because I've always been a nice guy. But now I, I feel like, okay, people used to say nice guys finish last. That is a famous saying by, a, mm -hmm. by, a, by someone. And I, um, and I said, no, I don't think that that's the case. I think that nice guys finish first. I think as Gary Shandling wrote in uh, chapter one of my book, the quote that I use is, if you don't think nice guys finish first, you don't know where the finish line is. I didn't want the mm -hmm. finish line to be about money. To success equates to money. I wanted the finish line to be about how can I enthusiastically approach every single day, happy, enjoying what I'm doing, ready to get on with my life, ready to make a deeper impact. And in 2014, when I started to write that book, that was the beginning of really the next stage. How can I teach my lessons? How can I make a deeper impact? And, um, and then how can I get out there and do that 
positively with the world. And it's it's been a really fun, but at the same time, really challenging uh, second half of my uh, half of my career. And was there was there some kind of event that you? Because I, I can imagine when you play like every night. I assume you did not play every night, but if you play a lot, after a while, it's yeah, it's not like <laughs> I mean playing for the first time and seeing the the audience yeah. going wild and having that first beginner's um, reaction. I mean, you, you you have seen it all before. You yeah. are not being when you play now for 20 people, two hundred thousand people to exaggerate a little bit. I mean, it doesn't impress you anymore. I mean, the, the fire is a little bit gone, but was there something else in your life that said, Doc, I mean, this is not feeding your soul. Is there something else that, was there something, somebody who, who was ill or, or you just woke up with, with that insight or did you meditate on a mountain and you get that insight? <laughs> There's actually a place that's very close to me. I live in Ojai, California. It's called Meditation Mount, Mountain. So I, I probably could this. go to the top of that mountain and, and have that. Um, I would not, I would say it wasn't a specific something that said, Hey, it's time to do this. It's time to change your career. It's time to move in a different direction. But what I was noticing was how my attitude towards getting out and doing my gigs was not the same 30 years into this 2,100 of these specific events, 3000 plus DJ events later, it just, it just didn't feel as happy for me. And I, I think um, I saw the writing on the wall. I saw that attitude was getting in the way of me coming up with creative ideas and built, continuing to build my business. So my business, I was doing in my busiest years, uh, 110 gigs a year. And, and I, was, I did that consistently for probably 20 years. And that will take a toll on your body and that will take a toll on everything and your attitude. So I saw that my attitude was probably affecting the amount of jobs. And in the last few years before really making that transition and discovering this new career that I was, that I set, you know, on the path to go through, um, I was probably doing 60 to 70 events. And while that's not bad, I mean, that's, it's great from most DJs perspective. It was not it was not filling my cup anymore. And while I, then I was just focusing on the money and the money, that's not good to focus. When you mm. just focus on the money that, you know, bad stuff starts to happen. So I would say it wasn't specific. It was a slow watching this business just slowly, slowly transition. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I got to figure out what comes next. How do I find that happy? And um, this book was the beginning of this next part of my, uh, my journey. What, what what happened? I mean, I can understand that it was not feeding your soul anymore. I'm going to do something different. I mean, first of all, why do you start your own business? You could also work somewhere as a as an as an employee. And second, I mean, why the book? Because writing a book, it's also <laughs> a, a very creative process, but it's also a, a, a really deep insight. Uh, seeing and uh it's 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 it's, it's having a, mi a mirror in front of you yeah and uh i mean it's it's going to challenge you a lot at least what does, uh, that's what i assume why the book first well you as an entrepreneur will know probably as well as anybody that's in your community of entrepreneurs and i am as well is the reason i didn't go to work for somebody is because i could i 
I don't ever intend to go to work for anybody again in my mm-hmm. entire life. I, I, I consider myself gainfully unemployable. <laughs> uh, you know, I like to do things my way. I don't want to, you know, my uh, partner and I, we went out of our house this morning. We went for a walk for about 40 minutes. And, you know, you can't do that uh, at 9 a.m. on a typical workday because you have to be at an office. Um, you know, I've taken the last few weeks off on and off to, to do this move from, uh, from, uh, Los Angeles to Ojai, which is North of, of Los Angeles an hour and a half or so. So I, um, I, I don't imagine that I will ever go to work for someone. I can't, I mean, it's something would have to really change in order for me to mm-hmm. want to go to work for anybody. But the reason I wrote the book was because I wanted there to be I wanted there to be some sort of legacy that I could leave behind so that people can see why it was that I was successful to whatever degree that I would they would consider success that I would define success. What it is about being nice and finishing first can actually work well together. You can be a nice person and still exceed uh, succeed in business. You don't have to be um you know a, a tempest to uh to make uh business work for you. Um, so I wrote the book and the rest of the path beyond the book, I, I hired a, a book writing coach. I didn't know anything about writing a book. I didn't want to have to kind of like grind through that. And he was just there for accountability. If I called you and said, Peter, uh, you know, at every, every day at 9 a.m. in the morning, I'm going to spend 45 minutes doing exercise. Will you be my accountability partner? And if, mm-hmm. if I don't call you, you'll know that I'm not exercising. So for for uh for uh 20 weeks i had an accountability partner in a book writing coach and he said all you got to do to write a 200 page book is write 10 pages a week for 20 weeks and in order to write 10 pages a week that really came it comes down to about a page and a half a day a page and a half a day is relatively it's about 2200 words 2200 words a day i'm like come on i can write 2200 words a day cuz that's really what it is so um, the the book writing coach was my accountability partner, and uh, that's it, it was. While I want to say it was a challenging process, it was just a process. I don't even know if it was a challenging process. I just had to get that. I we you have a story in you. Everybody in your community has a story in them. Everybody has lessons that they've learned. You don't. People don't think all oh, like I don't know enough to write a book. I'm like you may not know how to write a book because you don't know the mechanics of writing a book. But I promise you, you have enough content up here. To, to write a book, no doubt. And 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 then the the podcast immediately came after that. The nice guys um, on business came afterwards. How did that? How was that linked? Uh, that okay. So it's again a pretty funny story how this the whole process came out. So my book was released in February of 2015. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking for right before the book came out in December of the 2014, I was looking for a way to promote my book, like a publicist or a PR company Mm -hmm. in the States. Uh, a publicist that, that is worth a good, uh, that does a good job at what they do. will charge anywhere from $3,500 to $5,000 a month U S to, uh, to promote your book. I didn't have the money. <laughs> I, I, you know, it was like, I, I don't want to, maybe I had it. I didn't want to spend it on a, a publicist. 
So I thought, well, why don't I start a podcast that's kind of branded the same way as my book, and I'll just start. And I talked to a friend of mine, Strickland, who was represented by the same agency as me, and I said, hey, Strick, do you want to start a podcast with me to help me promote my book? And he's like, sure, I'll start a podcast with you. And that was 1,200 episodes ago, Peter. 1,200. 1,200 episodes. And that's just one of my shows. I have seven shows. So I've probably done, you know, over 1,500 or 1,600 episodes with all of my shows. Seven <laughs> shows. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Seven shows. Well, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, there is nothing that I can do any better to get my message out than podcast. Um, I have a, I have a, uh, a, a passion podcast called a Ford Mustang, the early years. I own a 1965 Ford Mustang. So I have a podcast about that. I'm 70 episodes in, um, I have a show called the turnkey podcast, another one called mm -hmm. sales training and marketing for pi or sales training for podcasters. I, I co-host with my partner, a show called women, men and relationships. Um, there are many, many, you know, SEDx is another podcast. BizWiz is another one that I have. So I have these podcasts because each one has a specific niche audience. And um, I can't think of a better way to make a, a living uh, online, especially in the last year. Boy, talk about timing. By the time our business was, was, uh, was growing at a nice rate, when COVID happened, our business started to really go through the roof doing well because everybody was home and they wanted to start a podcast. So business has been good. Wow. Um, and Belgian podcasting is not, is not penetrated yet. I mean, it's still quite easy to get very high in the charge. I mean, and a lot of people think you cannot earn money on a podcast. What's your view on that? They just don't know how <laughs> it's, um, you know, I could tell you as an, as a dentist, you know, that, that why are there some dentists that, that uh, go out of business and there's some dentists that are multimillionaires. It's because they understand the process. They know the lingo, they understand the systems. And that is no different in podcasting. You know, there's a system for monetization. There is a system for audience growth. There is a system for influence building. And if you don't plug yourself into a system, you know, interestingly enough, so you work a lot in the sales arena, right? Isn't that one of the arenas that you work in? All right. Mm -hmm. So there was a company that's out there called Sandler Sales. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sandler Sales. It's a it's a training system and mm -hmm. it may, they may not have them in Belgium. But Sandler Sales in the United States uh, has 200 some odd franchises. Now, you could mm -hmm. go out there and you could start trying to sell just by you know, talk, doing some research on your products and services and somebody comes and they ring your phone and you answer the phone and you start telling about all your products and services. Well, Sandler Sales teaches people that there is actually a system for selling. And the beauty of it is that when you plug yourself into a system that is tried and true and under, you understand how the system works and you know it's measurable and you know where the things that you're not doing right are, I could easily tell somebody that is trying to monetize a show, here are the things you need to do in order to monetize. Here's the things that you need to do to build your community. And here's the things that you need to do in order to, to become an influencer. And if you plug into a, a system that works, it's going to work. It's just a matter of time. It's just like when I wrote a book, I hired a book writing coach because why would I want to try to figure it out? I just plugged mm -hmm. into a system. He already had the system in place. He just shared the system with me and I was willing to pay for it. So, um, 
that's what I would tell you is the, the key to success is having a system that actually works. I agree. And at the same time, I also think it's also about having or setting the right mindset because you can use a system, but if you don't have worked on yourself on the mindset part, I think it's going to be a very hard and, um, um, how do you call that? Yeah. Hard working way where you have to work hours and hours and hours, and then maybe you, you will become successful, whatever the definition is of success. Can you, does it resonate with you? I think I, it's full of BS. Oh, no, no. I, I think that your attitude and your mindset, I think that they are really, I think they're really important, but I think that you also have to have, um, measurable results like what what would be considered success we had somebody that hired us as private coach and private coaching is obviously much more expensive than it is to do it in a group or to do it as a di do it yourself hired us to do private coaching for us to launch his podcast and i think he's maybe 10 15 episodes in now he has spent mm -hmm. nearly ten thousand dollars us on on our private coaching services mm -hmm. He's 15 episodes in and he's ready to throw in the towel because he's like, I don't see any results. And I'm thinking, you don't see any results. Number one, you don't, you don't know who your market is. You don't have a specific offer and you don't have a message that is, that is clear. What were you hoping people were going to do? Jump through their computer screens or their smartphones and say, you know, John, you're the best guy I've ever heard do a podcast. I want to buy something from you. Oh, you don't know what you're selling yet? Let me tell you what to sell. And then I want you to sell it to me. If you don't know your market, your offer, and your message, how the hell are you supposed to be successful? So yes, I think it's important that you have a good attitude because a good attitude will get you through those 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 negative days, those days where you think mm -hmm. that all is all is lost. But if you don't have a system that you're plugged into, even if a even if you have a positive attitude, you could say, this is the greatest thing ever. But if you don't have actually uh, a system, then you're going to fail. You know, yeah, you, yeah, what course, is the expression? Course, if you, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. <laughs> and it's, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's true. Now, um, you just mentioned that uh, that's at least what I understand. That's a lot of podcasters. They have big plans. Um, they don't always know exactly what their target audience or target market is. Uh, let it be that they don't have a, a product. Maybe that can off become afterwards, but I'm, I'm, I'm letting that in the middle. And that they podcasting for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's like running a marathon. Yes. I mean, expecting, expecting exponential growth um, after, I don't know, 10 episodes. <laughs> I think that's unrealistic. Yep. Is there some kind of average there where you see when people are launching like every week and um, an episode? Um, for me, it's, it started around 30, 40 episodes and now yeah, it's exploding um, exponentially. Do, do you have some kind of based on, on, on your audience and your customers, what, what typical average rates are that, 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 that the audience pick up, picks up? Because in the beginning, your audience is like your family and your friends and blah, blah, blah. And after a couple of episodes, maybe, maybe the second or the third, they're like, yeah, yeah, we've had it. It's okay, but I'm not going to listen. And then you need to start building your own audience. Yeah, I think that I think that you will become successful when you, I, this is going to be a, a bad answer, but it's the reality of it. You're going to become successful when you are ready. Until you are ready, 
you're not going to become successful. When you think that you know it all about podcasting, or anything for that matter, anything in business, when you think that you know it all, you have your, your that's, a, that's a formula for failure. <laughs> the, the more that you are open to growth and learning, the more successful that, that you can be. The more uh, that, the, that you're willing to surrender to you not knowing everything, uh, then you will become successful. Uh, for me, when you know, it took us 18 months just to figure out, you know, 18 months. I mean, I think we were, geez, we were probably over a hundred and some odd episodes into our show already. We, we had made no money from our show. We had a okay size audience, but we couldn't get them to do anything. And so for me at, at month 18, it took me getting so fed up with an audience that wasn't engaged and a show that wasn't making any money. It took me that much amount of contrast for me to realize I've got to change. I can't bring just my experience and shift it over to to the podcasting space. Podcasting is not like like radio. Radio, it's like I have a broadcast. I'm going to share it with the audience. I'm going to hope that my audience will do something and and pray for the best. Well, in podcasting, unless you're engaging, I'd much rather have 20 people listening to my show and engaged than 20,000 people that do nothing. And mm-hmm. so I had to get out of the way of the thought that the larger my audience is, the more successful I am. You know, you can't uh, in the States, Wells Fargo is one, a very large banking institution. Wells Fargo will not take a download and they won't cash it, but they will cash a check. So yeah. I'd rather have 20 people that are buying services from me and paying me money to, to do something than 20,000 people that I can't even get them to, to send me an email. So I, what, I do stress that. What did that. you change then? What, what well, what change we changed then? was we realized... What was the first thing then that you changed? I mean, did you change the title? Did you change no. the, the, the episodes? Did you change the guests? Did you change... Did you create, it, first of all, a product or a lead magnet? We realized at month 18 that all podcast guests are not created alike. We realized at month 18 that that there are three buckets of guest types. There are bu- the bucket number one is a guest type that will help you become an influencer. There are people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Ariana Huffington and John C. Mm-hmm. Maxwell and Jeffrey Gittimer, the VIP guests, the ones that, that mm-hmm. build your show's ego. There's the mm-hmm. second type of guest that is our community builders. Those are people that are on social media that have 50, 75, 100,000 people in their community. That is a specific mm-hmm. type of guest. And the third type of guests are the guests that we actually can focus on from a monetization perspective. That doesn't mean I charge them to sit in the guest seat. It means I look at them differently. Potentially, they want to be a sponsor. Potentially, they could be a JV partner. Potentially, they could be an affiliate relationship. Potentially, they could be people that I want to partner with somehow to build my business. And until I Mm -hmm. understood that it wasn't just about my community, it was about these guests, my attitude was just I'm creating a message and I'm throwing it out to the audience. It really should have been, I need to segment and put into these separate little buckets who my guests are. And once I did that and I understood that, it changed the entire agenda and the entire system that we had in place for our show. The, the first month that we changed the attitude and the buckets and the perception of who sits in that guest seat, we went from $0 a month to $35,000 a month. And, and, hasn't, that was be- 
That was a result of affiliate or, or sponsorship or? That was a result of, in this particular case, in this particular bucket, this monetization bucket, we put people into the guest seat that were highly qualified to buy the services that we have. We pre-qualified them before they got into the guest seat. We put them into the guest seat. We built a relationship with them for 40 minutes. And at the end of the interview, after discovering the levels of qualification that they had to buy the services that we had, it was a simple question to ask. And we just asked the question and five of those first or seven of those first 40 people that came on the show that next 30 days, 40 people that were on the show became seven clients at $5,000 a piece. It was $35,000. And that had so, nothing and, to do with our community at all. So, but that mean, that meant that, because I also believe in that model, is that um, if you ask a guest who has potential for your service, but you're not trying to push your service exactly. towards it, instead you have a very open conversation whereas whereas the no like trust factor that they say mm, duck he knows what he's talking about and they're friendly guys and can trust them etc etc exactly and after the podcast has done of course the conversation doesn't stop only the cameras or the the audio recording stops but it then the real conversation happens absolutely uh, what you're into and blah 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 i have a lot of collaborations right now because of that you absolutely, if you're not using your podcast as a sales tool, then you are leaving a huge uh, percentage of your of your business on the table. And I would tell you to qualify people. Now, just think about this. And somebody says, well, that's not really fair because you're bringing a guest on and you're trying to sell them into your products or services. That What happens to your community? And you're leaving them alone. And I'm like, no, you're not. I mm. listen to my guests with two potential ears. Ear number one, what is their message and how can their message benefit my audience? The second ear I listen to them with is the ear of, are they qualified to buy the stuff that I have? And if they are, chances are good that my community will relate to the message that they're going to share with my community. I'm going to walk them through a resolution to a problem that they potentially have. And at the end of the episode, I'll just say, hey, that was great. This was a really good conversation. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that you don't have a podcast? You have a great message. You should be out there sharing that with the world. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. might say, well, I've thought about it. I don't want to do it. Or it's on my agenda for this year. I just haven't taken the step. Or I've tried it and I don't like it or whatever. I'm just listening. And if they say it's on my agenda for this year or it's something I'm thinking about, I just say, great. When you're ready to do it, you know that this is what I do for a living. I would love to be able to help you share your message with a community. And it works not just for podcasting. It can work for accountants. It can work for business coaches. It can work for entrepreneurs. It can work for anybody that has a service that they that they share with their community so just know that you don't have to you don't have to just well i'm getting isn't that like a false reason to get them on the show no you're sharing a message with your community and your mm -hmm. community is digging it and you're actually yeah. showing and sharing something that's pretty relatable to your community as well yeah and also you're giving them the example eh? i mean it's good to talk about some kind kind of theory but the proof is in the pudding or drinking is in the champagne <laughs> well you know keep in mind also that um in the beginning it was all outgoing me qualifying people to try yeah. to find people to get on my show and and, mm -hmm. and some of those people became clients now we get you know i probably got over the weekend i probably got 30 applications for people to get on my show and when you get really good at this people are not actually applying to be guests on your show. They're applying to be clients of your business. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. How would you like to have a line of people waiting to be qualified to get onto your client list? And that's what this is all about. And you know, if you do that with a good attitude and you're not like a, like a wolf trying to yep. hunt, if you have a positive attitude about it and you're gentle with your, and you're a person and you're a human being and you have a relationship, man, it is a golden opportunity for you to never have to prospect again. If I just call somebody yeah, but- and say, Hey, John, would you be interested in starting a, co- a podcast? They're going to say, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Or ah, maybe, I don't know. Or, but if I say to them, hey, John, could, would you be open to sharing your message with my community on my podcast? They always say yes. Now it's just up to me to figure out if they're qualified or not. I mean, we're 2021 uh, in the middle, almost. Um, in the US, is, is it still a good opportunity to start a podcast right now? Because of, isn't there, isn't there some kind of oversaturation? I mean, I think this is a question you get a lot. It is. What's, what's your take on it? There, there is no bad time to start a podcast. Uh, you know, it's, it's, some people say, well, there's a lot of competition in the podcast market. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not competing against other podcast producers. Yeah, that, that, I mean, was also, that was also my question. Do you believe in competition? No. I, as a matter of fact, some of, my, some of my best referral sources are actually people that are in the same business that I'm in. You know, I, I think uh, a friend of mine whose name is Michael Neely, Michael has a podcast production and coaching business also. He says anywhere from 1% to 3% of the people that are on your list will ever buy from you. That leaves 90, 97 to 99% that will never buy from you. Why not share them with somebody else and earn an affiliate commission? And we've done that. Many times I've made thousands of dollars from his list. He's made thousands of dollars from my list. And mm-hmm. it is amazing that um, it's not too late. Timing is perfect. No matter when, just get started. It couldn't be any, the, the barrier to entry is so low. It's so, it's a yeah. microphone and a relationship with a, with a hosting source. And you're, you're off and running. Yes, it, it's more complicated than that to do it right. But at the same time, it is not anybody can start a podcast, which is why, you know, something crazy like 10,000 new podcasts start every day and five to 10 episodes later, probably 90% of them are gone. So plug into a system that actually works well and does it and do it right. Do do a lot of people uh, are um, seeing the technical thing as a kind of a barrier? Well, yeah, I mean, people, there's a, there's a lot of things that people see as barriers and it just depends on what you will allow, will allow to get in your way. If I said to you, mm-hmm. Peter, every time you opened up a microphone, you have an opportunity to make $5,000 or $500. Mm-hmm. You pick the number. I don't care mm-hmm. if every time you open up this microphone, you have an opportunity to make $5,000. Will you, would you be willing to get over your fear of equipment? <laughs> would you yeah. be willing to go beyond the, I have a barrier. I don't understand how a microphone works. Fine. We'll figure it out. I will, you know, that's why you plug into a system. You, you understand how to build a community, you how to grow influence, how to make money, how to set up your equipment, how to re- establish the relationship with Apple podcasts, how to title your show, how to describe your show, how to do a voiceover, how to do all the music, how to do all of the components. If you don't have those components working together, then yeah, you're going to, you're not going to succeed, but stack the odds in your favor and plug into a system that actually works. And another typical question is, uh, about publication. Should you publish every week, every day, every month on the same day, on the same hour? What, what's your take on it? Because I see people doing, I have people like me. I'm quite consistent. I'm very consistent every Tuesday, 1 PM CET mm-hmm. and every Friday, 
there is a new new episode yeah i think they could... but i have people doing once 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 in in a month then some i, I know somebody who is doing it with an iphone every day yeah yeah. Every day she is launching a podcast. Yeah, you want to keep a you want to keep a uh, a level of of um, activity that you can consistently put out there. So if that is one day a week, then just do it one day a week. Whatever it is, just make sure you're consistently doing it. Your audience will grow familiar with what you do. And I would tell you again, I come back to the whole idea of if every time you open up the microphone, you have an opportunity to make money or build a relationship or get business. How many times do you want to open up that microphone in the course of your week? So just do your best. But the key to it really is, and I am the best example of this, is that just don't quit. I haven't done anything special, but I've stayed in the game for six and a half years and 1200 episodes. I've done nothing. Six and a half. <laughs> I've done nothing nothing above and beyond other than I just show up every week and I do my show. And at, some, at one point we were doing five episodes a week because we were getting so much, so much activity and so many people that wanted to, and, and then we just saw it, thought, Hey, look, we're killing ourselves here. Let's just drop it back. And, and we found out that when we were doing five episodes a week, our downloads and our, and our um, engagement was no more than when we were doing two episodes a week. So we, mm -hmm. we figured out, the the best balancing point was about yeah. two episodes a week and we've been doing that consistently for years now now talking about the guests you were talking about the three bucket uh list like buckets of the of the guests mm -hmm. i mean you had gary v i believe eh? yeah yeah gary v amazing yeah we've had some great guests but remember gary v uh, at some point he was starting his own podcast so he was looking at a promotion promotional outlets for as many of you know if, to get mm -hmm. his message out there you know, he, he gave me a short period of time, a short block of time. He gave us 11 minutes. I think it turned into 15 minutes total. But we've had John Lee Dumas and we've had Pat Flynn on the show who are major people in the podcasting space. We've had some great people on the show. Uh, but everybody's got, for every great person that has come on our show, every VIP guest, there's probably 50 VIP guests that said no to me. <laughs> you know, it's like not yeah. everybody says yes. So you're only or, seeing or, what the end result is. Yeah. Or not now. Right, or not now. Right, exactly. Now, I mean, in, in terms of ratio, you sit together with your team and, and, and Slack, I, I, I assume that you have people working for you who are sourcing guests. Okay. N not anymore. <laughs> you do it, do it all yourself. Well, I don't have to do it myself. They now come to me. Uh, they're coming. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right. Um, so, um, but you have like, do you have some kind of strategy that you say, I mean, one VIP per month, um, and then like, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm going to say 10 in percentages. So like 10% uh, VIP, 60% the, the third category. So the people who are potential clients, and then the, the more uh, people with lots of followers on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, like the, what is it, uh, 70, 30%. Do you have some kind of rule there? Well, it used to be that we would have a one VIP guest a month. We would probably have two moneymaker guests a month, and we would have one community builder guest a month because we were doing four interviews mm -hmm. a month. But but now we just, it, whatever it happens to be, if I'm out there and I find somebody that's a VIP guest and they say yes, and I'll just, doesn't matter how many for me. Um, the the moneymaker guests, we have more leads coming in the door than we even know how to handle. We can't take 
I mean, I could turn my show into a five-day-a-week show and only use it for pre-qualifying potential clients for our business, and that would be great. But that's it's that's like a huge amount of work because it's not just the the interview; it's the follow-up, it's all of the other stuff that's involved in it. It's the sales cycle, and I want to have fun with my life too. It's not just about nose to the grindstone, doing work, 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 work. I want I want to have a good balance, so. You know, there's been some weeks I don't think I've done an interview on the Nice Guys for a couple weeks now, and but I I still have a backlog of episodes that are so I I haven't been inconsistent with my publishing schedule. I just don't have to. I don't lean into it the way that I used to anymore because we have a steady stream. I'll probably get thirty to fifty applications for people that want to get come on the show this week, and so I don't have to pressure myself into doing that. Now that's after six and a half years of doing this. Some people. You know, you work hard at it for a, a year or two, and then and then your your flywheel is rolling, yep. and you're just yep. it just will continue coming in. You you mentioned something interesting. When I started podcasting, I had a after some um, a couple of months I had a huge backlog because I was only publishing one episode per week. Yeah, and I mean, then I. I think it was it started around the beginning of this year. I, I started doing two episodes. So right now I have like a tendency to do at least to publish it the recording within one or two months max. Whereas in the past sometimes it would be even more. Yeah. What's your take what's your take on that? Just depends on, on your guest. I mean if you have a guest and you are promising them a release date of three weeks from now, mm -hmm. we have we have some publicists that hire us to share their guests' message on our show. And our rule with them is that they will have, in less than, 40, in less than 30 days, in less than a month, they're gonna have um, their message out there on the street. Mm. And so we have to be very careful, or we have to do, you know, instead of doing two episodes a week, we might have to do a month that's three episodes a week, two interviews and, and one, just my co-host and I. So it just depends on, you know, every, you don't wanna plant your feet in the in the ground and say, this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how it's going to be forever because podcasting yeah, yeah, yeah. so rapidly changes. I mean, even our business model has changed over the last, you know, six years, even the services that we offer. Keep in mind when I first started, I was promoting my book and a professional speaking business that I have. I haven't spoken. I haven't even talked about my book in the last two years, probably on my show because, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather make bigger money, faster than $2 a time because of a, a, a sale from every book I sell on Amazon. It, you know, it, I have to keep my call to action consistent with my offer. And my book is not a part of my call to action right now. Mm -hmm. well, what is then? Is, is that the biggest difference in, in your, in your, um, in your business model that you, you change it to another product inst instead of the, 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 the book? Is that the biggest Thing well, I was year, I was saw? speaking professionally for years, mm -hmm. and I changed from professional speaking to podcast production because more I was I was sharing with my audience. So I'm on my show and I'm going full at it, and I'm sharing my invest, inspire, and execute strategy from my from my nice guys finish first book, and I'm like selling my speaking services to my community, and it's like I'm selling them every once in a while, but most people are not buying those services. And I have one guy in my audience; his name is Lou Diamond, and Lou said to me. Hey, Doug, I love your message and I think that you're great. And I do think nice guys finish first, but I don't want to talk about that. Can you teach me how to launch a podcast like you guys have? Mm. And he was the first of 200, probably 250 clients 
that we've had through our our show. So I'm like, well, maybe my community wants something other than these speaking services. And again, it raised that flag that said, hey, don't have your fir- your feet firmly planted in concrete that you can't shift. You know, may- put them in sand a little bit. Be off balance. It's okay. Shift what you're doing. As an entrepreneur, it's the best thing ever because you're waiting for your community to tell you what it is that they want. We've created products and services based upon what our community is telling us they they want. That's why I have all of these other podcasts because I've had a number of people say, can you do this and can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, probably should do that on a different show though. It's not a really consistent message for my Nice Guys on Business podcast. So every podcast that you have, there's some kind of monetization model behind it. Absolutely. Well, every show except for uh, my Ford Mustang, the early years podcast. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Understand. That was also yeah, 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 yeah. cool. But there will be a mo- there will be a monetization model for that show as soon as I discover what it is that that audience mm-hmm. wants. I put out uh, a message, uh, uh, a um, an episode every other week on that show. And I will still get between four and 5,000 downloads a month, which means I have an audience and I have a Facebook group and a highly engaged Instagram audience on for that. And every time I introduce something to them, they eat it up. I just don't know what it is that I'm going to sell to them. And I'm not in a hurry to figure it out. What They'll tell me. At some point, they're going to tell me, hey, Doug, can you put together a virtual show or can you do this or that? And whatever it is that they want, I'll, I'll do. But I'm not, I don't pressure myself with that show to monetize. For, for your potential customers and aspiring podcasters, um, is that they, do they then have to figure it out from the beginning what their product or service is that going to sell? Or you just say, start a podcast, collect to your audience, listen to your community and, and, and start a product of correct, um, uh, create a product from or, or service from there. Or you just say, no, 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 wait, first you have to, you, you, you create your, your service first with your target audience and then start the podcast. What, what is? Yeah, I don't want, I don't want any, somebody to come to the podcasting table and then think that they know what their audience wants and create a product based upon what they think their audience wants. That's the wrong way to approach it. The way that mm-hmm. I approach it is I'm going to hear yeah. what my podcast audience wants based upon who, who reaches out first and create a product around what they want. Because keep in mind when you're podcasting, it's about how to get engagement from your podcast community, not about broadcasting to a community. So if I say to somebody, you know, we're about to do a masterclass on the, on the five ways to make money podcasting. And I do that masterclass. And in that masterclass, let's say I can put 10 or 15 or 20 people into a, into a masterclass. And we just, I just, I'm there for them. I have an agenda for what I want to share with them, but I don't know what they're going to ask me or what they're going to want in Mm -hmm. return. And they could say, Hey, can you teach me how to use joint venture partnerships to build relationships. Well, I have a really good relationship with a friend of mine, Jay Fazette, who has a program called JVology, who I don't even have to have a deliverable. I can just be the relationship builder and the introduction mm-hmm. sort resource for Jay and make an affiliate commission. Or it could be, you know, how do you, um, I don't know, how do you, how do you create a, a landing page and a lead magnet? And maybe that's something I want to do. And so that I can teach people how through a call to action on your podcast, create a landing page and a lead magnet. And I could make money from that by coaching them through that process. We've created a, you know, a, a twelve to $15,000 mastermind as a result of enough of those masterclasses where I hear that people want, they, they want to understand how the, the podcast fits into their whole business structure. Mm-hmm. So depending on what services, do not come into the podcasting space knowing what your audience is going to want. That is a that is a sure 
plan to fail at podcasting because you could get lucky and they could like it, but you could also have spent a lot of time building a product or service, not doing any research and not, you know, not being successful at it. So just wait, just wait, just be patient. If you have patience and you're not in a, oh my God, I have to make money at this thing tomorrow. Um, you can make money fairly quickly at podcasts. You just have to be, you just have to be patient. So this also means that you don't have to buy all the expensive equipment yet. You don't have to buy the Shure SM7B microphones and all that stuff. You can start with a, with a USB mic, something like Definitely. that. Definitely. Definitely. Look, I here's a here is literally a a thirty dollar thirty eight dollar US microphone that I that I bought just because I wanted to see the, hear the sound quality from a really inexpensive mm -hmm. microphone, and this is a great microphone. So I tell my guests all about this and you could be a host with this. So for $38, <laughs> you can get started podcasting. It is a, it is a USB plug and play microphone, but so is this one that I have in front of me. It's a, it's a Yeti blue microphone. So no. uh, really easy to use and was like $125. And this microphone has made me a lot of money over the last six and a half years. I'm happy to stay with it. I mean, I assume that you are very proud and very grateful for all the customers who have now uh, a podcast thanks to you. Yeah. Is there one or two particular that you're so proud of or somebody who, yeah, I don't know, had to uh, overcome a lot of obstacles or struggles or had a difficult life or something or just one or two customers that you're very proud of without um, minimizing the impact of all your other customers, of course. Well, my, my first customer, whose name is Lou Diamond, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. I, I could not be more happy for the success that he has been able to find in the, um, in the podcast space. It has really been a, a just wonder. I mean, he attributes over a million dollars of business in the last three and a half years, I think, since he's been podcasting, to his podcast, directly attributed to his podcast. And I love it. I love it because he understands the power that this microphone and this platform can can obviously add. There are many of my mastermind clients who I am extremely proud of who have who have challenged themselves and gotten out of their own way, whether it's something like technology. Many clients just mm -hmm. don't know how technology works, so they need help with that community building or or people that got into podcasting knowing that it could be successful for them but not even having a product or service to sell so mm -hmm. a number of our mastermind members um not one specifically but all of them for the most part have jumped through some amazing hoops to become successful in this space and i i, I love it because they are willing to invest in themselves to to become successful Great. Now, something completely different, Doc. You're now 56 years young. I mean, is there some kind of too old to start the podcasts? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, we have, there's people that have 80 plus years old that have podcasts and there's people that are... 80. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you are willing to learn, if you're willing to be... Um, What's the expression? The the teacher will appear when the student is ready. Yeah, uh, when yeah. when you are ready as a student, there will be a teacher that is available to teach you how to do whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. It's never too late. Just just dig in and dig in and do it. I I loved you know for me I love technology. I love all this new stuff. And look, I, this is a great way for me to actually make a living without having to leave my my home. I you can't see me, but I'm not wearing pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
How great is that? You can make a living without pants. <laughs> and do you have also the podcast? I can cannot see, can, cannot read the rest on your T-shirt. What's it called? The podcast? Podcastologist. Is that also on your underwear? <laughs> well, you know, maybe I should get po podcastologist underwear. We created this term for all of our people on our team. We have about a dozen people on our team that that do editing and show notes writing and production and training and all of that and our operation director of operations and my partner. So we're very proud to be uh, podcastologists. That's that's a, actually uh, triggered me. Um, what is the first thing that you uh, outsourced when you started doing podcasting? Because I assume that in the beginning you did everything yourself, huh? Yeah, I would say that, uh, geez, what was the first thing that we outsourced? You know, the really, uh, instead of the first thing that we outsourced, the first thing that we really discovered that was the key to success is staying within your zone of genius, only doing the things that are good to, for you. So for me, the things that are in my zone of genius are relationship building, doing the interviews, this kind of stuff, selling. I love, I love mm -hmm. that. That's totally fine. Uh, when I found myself in accounting or in spreadsheets or in things in systems, mm -hmm. I, operations, that stuff bored the bejeebers out of me. And that's when we discovered in 2019, in January of 2019, Strick and I said, we are only going to do things that we are good at and competent at. So we brought in a director of operations. That was our first thing. That was a, a huge, huge financial commitment for us. So for us, it wasn't one specific thing, but bringing somebody in that kind of was able to get their arms, her arms, Marjorie, who has been wonderful for us over the last several years, get our arms around um, this business and actually creating and building and helping us with the systems and support for our, our uh, customers. And was it already then booming or was it just a little before that? that it you was said before that because I remember it was a huge gulp for me, Peter. It was like, I have to pay how much to this person every week? It's like, oh my gosh. I, I wasn't even, I was paying my director of operations more money than I was making out of my business, but I needed it because when you start to invest in your company and in your business, then you will, you will begin to open up the stuff that is, that is best for you. You know, since then we've been able to, we've bring, brought on. So after our director of operations, we brought on an editor and a show notes writer, and then we brought on um, a virtual assistant to do some of our, our our other stuff. And that's just been recently that we brought on a virtual assistant. Recently, within the last three months, we brought on an outside sales team. I mean, it was a huge mm -hmm. expense for us, but we were like huge expense. You know, bringing on one or two new customers every month could more than pay for what this. Was so no you've got you can't say I will be willing to invest. So uh, ho hopefully this won't this won't fall on a, a bad spot. I'm thinking this is going to be okay. Some people say I'm willing to invest in my business when my business pays me, and I would say eh, wrong attitude. Invest in your company, and your company will in turn pay you. Do not yeah. wait for your, don't say, go to the ATM and say, give me money, give me money. Well, if you don't have any money in your account, no money is going to come out of the ATM. Be willing to invest in your business before. And that was a hard thing. You know, I attribute my partner, JJ, for helping me really get out of my own way when it came to this money scarcity thing. And while there are still mm -hmm. moments of money scarcity in my life, I'm not perfect and I'm not expecting anybody to be perfect. The thing is, you have to be willing to okay, take a couple of deep breaths. You're going to get through this. Everything's going to be fine. You know, we have programs that people can hop into. 
can you, and, and they cost money. Could you do it free? Absolutely. Go to Google and Google how to start a podcast and you'll find 5,000 million ways that you can start a podcast free. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the system that we have works. I can't tell you what those other things work. So if you want to cheap out and do it on your own, then do it on your own. If you were willing to invest but, in your own company, then in yourself and do it. And and about that, about finding free Google, um, how to start a podcast, it's really what you said in the beginning. People taking the course for themselves to, to, to find accountability partner, to, to find a community where they know they're not going to be alone and they're going to be pushed by other people to, 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 to really do it, to start their well, own we, podcast. Well, we use this thing called the ACE method. I'm sure I didn't invent this, but I've, I've coined it at least. The ACE method, accountability, community, and education. And without those three things, you are just going to Google and doing a search. You know, why don't you Google how to become a millionaire? <laughs> There's, you know, there are, I'm sure there are billions of responses on there, but why is it that everybody isn't a billionaire or a millionaire? It's because it's, there's still effort. <laughs> you still got to go through the process and you still have got to have accountability, somebody to deal with, community, a group of people that can help you by going through the same thing that you're going through. And education, without the right education, without the right system, it's, no. it's just not going to happen. Well, well, a couple of closing questions. Who, who is your inspiration source right now? Uh, I would of, I know, would say I get Ga uh, Gary V uh, Gary V or something. Well, they, these aren't going to be famous people. Well, they're going to be local celebrities because I, I I really do I really do admire and respect my partner JJ for all that she has accomplished. She has literally created her own economy with her podcast. No matter what's going on in the world, she has consistently brings in business. She consistently can share an idea, a concept with her community, and they will in turn respond and buy the stuff that she provides. She is a constant source of inspiration for me. What is the name of her podcast? Spirit, Purpose, and Energy is the name of her podcast. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and, and so so energy. for me, the there there's inspiration that I get to wake up next to every day and I get to see her attitude and the way that she runs her business and the way that she handles her community and I admire her for that and I and I look forward to the day that my community will be as connected uh to me as her community is to uh is to her. And we I, I work on it. I, I it's some some of the stuff I struggle with, but you know, it, it, from contrast comes clarity and uh can, can, can i ask what you're struggling struggling with right now uh i would say some of the i'm i still have some scarcity so so money is one of those things doesn't matter how much money you make you can always want more and so for me i still have challenges uh, control i feel like sometimes i i want to have to over control the environment and little at a time i want to um you know, release that control and let others in my organization do it. But I still struggle with micromanagement. Uh, so I would say that those are probably two of my two of my biggest the things that I'm still look, we're all a work in progress. You know, the street sign behind me probably says, you know, under construction, <laughs> I, I'm very much under construction all the time. And, and it's the journey, eh? the destination is the journey is the process. Eh? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Now, if you would meet your 56 years young, if you would meet, you would take a DeLorean from Back to the Future <laughs> and you're like Marty McFly. And you would meet the duck when he's 18 years young. What would you say to him in terms of advice? 
I would, I would say, um, have a better relationship with your dad. I would say have a better relationship with your kids. Um, it's not about, it's not about the money. The money will come. I think that if you, uh, the relationships that I have in my life, my father passed away in 1990, uh, 1995. Um, I wish I had a better relationship with him before he passed. And so my advice would be stop being a stubborn SOB, (laughs) you know, be a, be, be a son worth having as a son, be a father worth having as a father. I think I'm a good dad. I think I could have done better as a dad. I think I probably would have spent less time working. You'll never get to your deathbed saying, I wish I spent another day at the office. You know, you'll say, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I spent more time with my friends. And, uh, I think that I need to cherish the relationships that I have in my life even more than the money that I have in my life, uh, even more so than I do already. And I feel like I've really turned a nice corner, but I would give myself advice to that degree. Relationships are extremely important. Value them. Is that, is that then where happiness lies in the small things, sharing it with, uh, with your relationships? Yeah, I think that, I think happiness lies in the, you know, in the details in the small details, the small little things that you can do every day, you know, it's the, it's the smile, it's the kind word, it's the act, it's the action item that you do to further, um, solidify your relationships. I think that, you know, whether it's with a client or with a, a, a family member or friend, I think the relationships are really where it's all about. You're going to, you know, money is going to come and go. You're going to spend it. It's going to come in. It's a big circle going to come in you're going to spend it you may as well enjoy uh james taylor the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time and i want to enjoy the passage of time as much as i possibly can um i still have a lot of years left on this earth and i may as well enjoy the years that i have here and stop working so freaking hard uh so i'm working towards that beautiful now in 10 years who is doug hmm Jeez, I don't know. Hopefully a guy that's, uh, that's found, um, some calm and some peace and some, uh, some, um, happiness even more so than I already have. It's someone that is less, uh, has some less scarcity in their life, in my life and somebody that can enjoy the passage of time even, even more. Don't be in such a hurry. It's right here. It's all around you right now. Just slow down and enjoy the world that's going on around you. Are still podcasting? Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, I, I, um, is podcasting like, is it the thing? Is it, I mean, right now it's a great thing and I've been doing it for six years and I have no plan on stopping. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not building my company so I can sell it. It is a, um, it's a great way to build relationships, um, solve problems and have fun. (laughs) And, uh, Turning tables on sixty six and playing like like uh, footloose songs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we have um, we have uh, dance breaks every once in a while in my kitchen. We have Alexa that's in there. Oops. So Alexa's going to go on right now. In my, I can see her turning on. Uh, so we have um, uh, music in our um, in our kitchen, and we will do our dance breaks every once in a while. So yeah, why not do the cha cha slide and the and the uh, and the wobble in the in the kitchen and salsa and. And the last but most important question, Doc. What is your favorite record? Oh my gosh. 
Okay, so I've gone through many, many different records in my in my life. I fi- I found myself probably in the eighties and nineties gravitating towards James Taylor. And I although I don't have a favorite record that James Taylor has, I mean, I love his Copper Line album. Uh, you know, if I'm just going to sit back and and kick back and and be mellow, I love James Taylor. If I want to if I want to dance or have a really good like fun time, Bruno Mars, I mean, he's great. If I want to be like um old school with it, I may do the Michael Jackson thing. So, I don't know mm-hmm. if I can pick one one album, but those three would probably get me through pretty much any Billy Joel I've been listening to recently. Well, I was painting the house, I was listening to Billy Joel, so enjoying him too. And and is it music that you don't like at all? No, I think I think I like. Uh, I'm not really a heavy metal guy, so I don't really I don't like headbanging stuff. But I'm, if I can find a groove in there, I I would even listen to that. I, I just have to put it be able to to make sense of the music in my head. If I can make sense of it, then I'll pretty much listen to to anything. Wow. Well, Mr. MC Duck, <laughs> I thank you for the hour it was an amazing conversation uh thanks for opening up and being so authentic it uh, i wish you all the best i wish you calm and i wish you all the how do you call it the the enjoying of the of the passing of the time thank you peter and and i have to tell you this is this has really been i i mean i've done hundreds of interviews over the last six years i i can't remember the last time i had this much fun and was able to just have a good conversation so thank you for not only asking me information about business but but getting behind the the curtain a little bit and asking me personal stuff too so thank you for thank you for your for your great questions thanks for and and best of success with your show yeah thanks but it's it's because what you said that's what is the core everybody has a story true true very much very much thanks again for having me on the show hey it's peter here thanks a lot for listening to what's on your mind looking forward to your opinions and comments And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye!